Chapter twenty two of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter twenty two To the End of the World. Dulcie went back to Fairview directly after an early breakfast next day. Her father had promised to return to-day, and no argument could prevail upon her to linger for another hour at Tangley, albeit Morton and his sisters represented to her that Sir Everard could not possibly be at home till the afternoon. "'I'm not sure of that,' said Dulcie. "'He may have travelled by a night train.' "'Oh, he would hardly do that unless there was some urgency in the case,' argued Aunt Dora. "'Isn't it urgent for him to come back to me?' cried Dulcie indignantly. Does he not know that I am miserable without him? Oh, dear auntie, I beg ten thousand pardons, she exclaimed, conscious of having been rude to her hostess. You know how happy you have made me here, but I could not exist much longer without my father. Nothing could fill that blank. Morton looked grave. If this girl were called upon to choose between her father and me, I know which of us would go by the board, he said to himself. Dulcie's pony carriage was at the door at nine o'clock. She had given particular orders about it when she left home on Christmas Eve. She was ready dressed in her fur jacket and hat. Her portmanteau had been brought down. There was a great deal of kissing to be gone through with Aunt Dora and the three girls, Lizzie Hardman coming in for an honest share of the kisses, though she was only a penniless dependent, and then Dulcie pulled on her fur driving gloves and ran off to the carriage. "'I suppose I may be permitted to drive home with you,' said Morton, taking the seat by her side, and away went the ponies at a sharp trot along the frost-bound road. Morton was dismissed at the door of Fairview, after a delightful twenty minutes' drive through the crisp wintry air. "'Mayn't I come in and play a game of chess with you?' he asked, lingering on the threshold. "'Chess at half-past nine in the morning!' exclaimed Dulcie. "'Ridiculous! I'm going to be desperately busy!' "'Don't you know that this is Boxing Day, and a general holiday?' Oh, yes, for poor people who work hard all the year round, and who want an appointed day now and then to get tipsy upon. I have a hundred things to do. Besides, Papa may come home at any moment, and he may be tired, or he may want to be alone. I see, said Morton rather moodily. I count for nothing when your father is in question. Well, I suppose I may come in the evening. Yes, dear. Papa will have rested by that time, and will be charmed to see you. I don't know much about that, but if you are charmed, that is enough for me. So they kissed and parted, and Dulcie ran off to her household duties, which were light but numerous. She ransacked all the greenhouses and adorned the rooms in which her father lived with freshest ferns and flowers, gay, smiling blossoms which should seem to welcome him home. She was very exact in her orders about the dinner, and had a consultation with Scroop as to which particular hock and claret should be brought up from the cellar for this evening's consumption. "'Your master will be tired after his journey,' she said. "'He must have something especially good.' When all these duties had been performed, 
there was still a great deal of the day to be got rid of and the hours seemed all the longer because of that eager expectation of her father's momentary return which kept dulcie on the alert for every sound of wheels on the road outside fairview sometimes she seated herself at the piano with the intention of practising for a couple of hours at a stretch but in the middle of a dreamy nocturne her thoughts wandered off her hands dropped listlessly from the keys and she went to the window to look across the rise and fall of lawn and shrubberies to one distant point at which through a break in the trees she could see any vehicle passing along the road i wonder why papa went to town so suddenly she thought over and over again and why he did not tell me what his business was about so the day wore heavily on and then came twilight and the quaint little tea-table was set out in front of the fire and then just as dulcie was growing tearful at the thought that this pleasantest hour of all the winter day was going to slip past without bringing her father the welcome sound of wheels was heard in the avenue and she ran out bareheaded to greet the traveller the coachman pulled up his horse at the sight of the fair head with wind-tossed hair and sir everard got out of the brougham within fifty yards of the house dulcie slipped her arm through his and walked by his side to the hall even in that dim light she could see that he looked haggard and worn oh, dear father how tired you must be she murmured in soothing tones yes i am a little tired and i have been a good deal worried oh, come to your nest by the fire dearest and let me give you some tea a woman's panacea if it would only cure all our ills said sir everard if it were like the waters of lethe now dulcie and could give us everlasting forgetfulness they were in the morning-room by this time in the cheerful glow of the fire dulcie helping her father to take off his fur-lined coat oh dear father she exclaimed you would not like to forget everything everything dulcie just for the sake of forgetting one thing answered sir everard wearily but no he went on in a lighter tone i should not like to forget my sweet young daughter and all her goodness to me goodness questioned dulcie you mean gratitude papa and now tell me all about this london business was it very tiresome it was worse than tiresome dulcie he answered gravely for i fear that it will grieve you but we'll talk about it presently give me my cup of tea and tell me how you amused yourself while i was away dulcie hereupon busied herself about her teapot while she gave her father a brief sketch of what had happened during his absence i had no idea morton and lady frances grange were such friends she said when she had told him about the impromptu dance nor i till the other day answered sir everard don't you think her very pretty asked dulcie thoughtfully i should call her distinguished-looking rather than pretty there is an originality about her a fascinating audacity i can quite understand any young man falling in love with her indeed i wonder she has not made a good match before now it is strange is it not papa said dulcie with an unconscious sigh perhaps there is someone whom she likes very much but who does not care for her 
perhaps a question of that kind offers an illimitable field for speculation and now dear father about this london business why should it grieve me i don't think it can so long as it has nothing to do with you my dearest unfortunately this has to do with me dulcie looked at him earnestly her delicate bloom paling a little it is a loss of money then she said you have had some misfortune we're going to be poor oh dearest father that won't grieve me so long as i can make you happy so long as i can comfort you no dulcie it is no money loss which troubles me i think both you and i could bear that the fates do not touch us there what is it then papa she was on her knees beside his chair her loving hands clasping his the firelight shining on her pale eager face her tender blue eyes and parted lips darling i think you know that for a longish time though i have made light of it always i have not been very strong or altogether in good health the pale cheeks grew deathly white the light died out of the widening gaze father father she cried with a choking sob for a long time certainly for the last three years i have felt that my prime of life was over i have lost all pleasure in active exercise and anything in the shape of exertion has become a fatigue to me for a long time for more than three years it has been in my mind that there was something organically wrong and that i ought to consult some authority in the particular kind of disorder with which i believed myself affected yes said dulcie breathlessly her eyes fixed on her father's face the other day i had an attack of my old chronic pain in the side it was a little sharper than usual and it told me the time had come when i must face the inevitable if this thing was to be fatal it was best i should know it father it was a cry of despair which came from her in spite of herself a wild appeal to him with outstretched hands and shrinking figure warding off the horror he was going to tell as if it had been some dreadful engine that was slowly bearing down upon her to crush her to death and she saw the doom and could not escape it my dearest this thing must come to us all in our time in some form or other the same dark night awaits all we must all tread the same path at its worst it means death and oh my darling don't look at me with those agonised eyes for me the doom may approach slowly gently we may have years to spend together yet father will you tell me the truth quite plainly you saw a doctor in london yes one of the greatest men in that big city and he told you that you have a fatal disease well he only confirmed my own suspicion heart and lungs are both affected and have been for a long time my life cannot be a long one but the thread may be spun a little longer yet in spite of the fates if i am careful oh we will be careful cried dulcie we will be so careful 
that a few months hence when you go to the physician he will tell you there is nothing the matter your daughter's care has cured you what are we to do dear father tell me everything i fear you will hardly care to assist in my cure dulcie when you know the conditions attaching to it what are they well, first and foremost i am never again to spend a winter in england unless i am resigned to spend the latter half of it in my grave dr randall recommends me to start at once for the south of france possibly to cross to algiers yes papa and when are we to go to-morrow oh think dulcie it is a long way from morton will you go with me to the end of the world she answered hiding her tears upon his breast End of chapter 22